All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Ms. Shedlack uh, with me for uh, another half hour or so here at 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, before we get to Mish, I just want to mention that our sponsors for the third hour of today's show are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Athabasca Uranium, Golden Minerals, Western Pacific, and Focus Metals. Mike, uh, before we went to break, um, well, before we get to this, let me just ask you to tell us right away, uh, tell our listeners what your blog is so people can follow your work on an ongoing basis. Uh, my blog is global economic global economic analysis blogspot dot com. That's very hard to uh, remember, actually. But the easy way to find my blog is just do a Google search for Mish, M I S H. I've had some very interesting posts out there recently. I've got one today on China that I think is uh, that we just discussed uh, in the earlier half of this segment, and I've also got a look at, at um, uh, uh, un- various unemployment situations, what the BLS is saying. Of course, we all know you know that that's pretty much a crock, but I've got a really long post out there called "Negative Annualized Stock Market Returns for the Next Ten Years or Longer." It's far more likely than you think. That's the one that I would really like. Like people to to look on. You can just scroll down on the left hand side of my blog. Again, do a Google search for Mish. You know, read this thing on on expected stock market re- returns, and um, hopefully we'll talk about that in the next um, um, segment here. Well, I certainly want to get to that, Mike. But I also want to get to this notion of bubbles. You know, if we had if we had an economy that was a free market economy, I don't believe that we'd be having the bubbles that we're having. Bubbles. <clears throat> uh, are I, I think just another word for malinvestment. There are uh, there is growth uh, uh, in in various prices without sustainable economic justification for those prices. I believe. So, do you believe we're in one gigantic bubble? Are there several bubbles? And then I want to ask you what could what could cause these bubbles to implode? You know, we had the Lehman Brothers implosion that that brought down the global economy, the global credit system. But are we in one gigantic bubble, Mike? Well, I think you you said um, uh, the key word there, and that key word is is credit. So in that aspect, and the other key word you said was global. So I do think we have to to look at these things on a global nature. Certainly, there's uh, uh, huge property bubbles in uh, China, in Canada, in uh, the UK. And in Australia, one of the uh, biggest property bubbles of all, uh, Australia and China, actually. 
so, you know, that's, you know, one set of, of bubbles. And when those burst, that's going to have uh, 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 a set of ramifications. The housing bubble in the United States has already burst, and we've seen the ramifications uh, of that. Yet Bernanke's uh, uh, policies have the Fed have ignited what I believe is a bubble in junk bonds and a bubble in the stock market again. And he's done this on purpose. He's, he's specifically targeting asset prices, and he's cheering them when they go up. So uh, uh, his notion, what he said was, well, when they started quantitative easing, he said, well, we're going to do this to lower interest rates. And interest rates aren't lower. The 30-year long bond is about ready to break its long-term trend line, uh, you know, dating all the way back to uh, uh, the 1980s. So, uh, you know, that's certainly been, you know, one of the major themes for here for decades now. And that trend, I think, is actually over. Now, Mm -hmm. what that means for some of the lower interest rates, you know, we've seen this dichotomy before where the 30-year old bust its trend line, the 10 doesn't, and, you know, then, then they all go back down to the bottom of the trend line. Yet... I think we've seen something very fundamental happen this last October when we saw new all-time record lows in uh, the uh, uh, two-year, three-year, and five-year Treasury notes, but we didn't come close to that in the 10-year a uh, note, and the long bond was like light years away. So you know we're seeing this you know dichotomy here of of interest rates that that suggests we are in uh, uh, a changed environment. I think the bull in um, uh, uh, in treasuries is is in fact over. Uh, that that doesn't mean that you know you can insure these things with impunity. Because if the stock market slows, if uh, China slows, if commodity prices come back down, I think you're going to see another movement back into treasuries, a flight to safety kind of, kind of aspect. Yet I think those lows in yields are very, very much likely in, certainly in, in, in the 30-year. I don't think we're going to retest uh, 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 those lows on the 30-year. Well, certainly they've come off their uh, – the, the 30-year bond has come off its highs or, as you say, have, have, in terms of yields, has come up very, very substantially. There's no question about that. Well, Mike, uh, let's talk about state governments a little bit. Uh, it seems as though the state governments are in huge trouble. I was just listening on Bloomberg at lunchtime here in New York. Uh, Bloomberg Radio, they were talking about uh, what the pension plans for these state governments, California, New York, and the like, and how irresponsible – the governments have been in the past, you know, when the stock market was making new highs, they sort of figured it was going to last forever. They started promising people huge pensions. Uh, and, and then clearly the stock market came down. We've had a 10-year period of more than 10 years where the equity market has really not gained that much. Uh, so where, what, do you think it's the state governments could be the, the, the trigger that causes us to, uh, to see this whole credit market um, implosion again? Well, it'll be interesting to see. There's two issues with the states. The first one is is deficit spending that needs to be brought under control. Tax receipts are still not back up. 
to um, uh, where they were two and three years ago. Yet expenses keep going up, so states keep doing more and more cuts. Uh, you know, they've uh, gotten away with some of that because of Uncle Sam, because, you know, Congress has been funneling, uh, uh, you know, $100 billion to the states for them to, you know, as, as a slush fund. You know, they were supposed to use it for various kinds of things. But they didn't use it for those. I mean, this was supposed to be stimulus money that they were used, supposed to use for growth. You know, uh, uh, they, they used it to, to fund their deficits. Well, what are they going to do now when, you know, that stimulus money is, is running out? So uh, um, in terms of their deficits, their actual deficits, the, those are starting to come down now with the growing economy. However, uh, uh, Congress is pulling funds away from the states at a faster rate, so that implies you know more cutbacks than what the average person realizes. So it's, it's that deficit issue there that, that, that's, that's two-pronged that people don't realize. They see things, oh, things are getting a little bit better. Uh, yeah, but the stimulus coming from Uncle, uh, you know, from from uh, the stimulus from taxpayers, because that's really what it is, is is being withdrawn at a greater rate. And the second issue is the one that you mentioned, the, the uh, pensions. Oh, uh, the first the, the first issue, you know, states are some, you know, 150 to 200 billion dollars here in the hole. That's a lot of mm. cutbacks here. That is a lot of cutbacks that they're going to have to do. And the second thing is, and you know, that does not address the pension problem. State pensions are Three trillion dollars, you know, in the hole. Maybe it's a little bit less than that now, you know, because of this uh, uh, stock market rally. But then, what happens to those pension plans? Uh, even if the stock market just were to go sideways here mm-hmm. for the next five years, uh, uh, when these pension plans have have growth estimates of of seven and a half to eight percent a year, Jay, I mean. I'm sorry, that, that, that's not likely to happen. In fact, I think we're going to have flat to negative returns over the next 10 years, just as we did for the last 10 years. You know, that's how big of a bubble we, the, the stock markets are in on, on a normalized P.E. basis. So, uh, you know, states are in real trouble. Let's take a look at Florida, for example. Uh, uh, Florida Governor Rick Stock, uh, Scott is planning some, some big changes in there. He wants to lower corporate taxes. I think that's the smart move. At the same time, he wants to overhaul um, uh, how defined benefit pensions plans work there. He, for new state for employees going forward, he wants to put them on um, defined contribution, in other words, 401k type of plans, rather than defined benefit plans. I think more and more states are going to have to do this. And the second thing he's doing, which has the unions howling, is he wants 5% contributions for existing employees. Right now in Florida, these public employees pay 0% of their pension. So, you know, he's, and the state kicks in 10%. He's asking for the employees to put in 5%. That's 5% out of their pocket. Now, bear in mind, this needs to happen. This is a long-term good thing for this to happen. Yet, uh, um, in, in, in terms of taking money out of, out of uh, public employees' pockets, 
you know, it's going to be money that they can't spend. I think that, you know, that, that these kinds of things and the cutbacks at the state level are going to subtract, you know, going forward um, um, in the next fiscal b- uh, budgets. Most of them, you know, kick off for, for most of the states in, in June or July of this year. The, the going forward, uh, these state impacts are going to impact GDP by a percent or a percent and a half. So, you know, if you were expecting, you know, uh, 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 three and a half percent growth and didn't factor this in well now you're looking at two you know mm-hmm. two two percent gdp i believe is the stall rate the the first two percent is is just fluff it's hedonics and imputations and and even bernanke has said kind of the same thing he said you are not going to get any job expansion at all uh, uh uh you know unless gdp is expanding above three percent now uh uh if it takes three percent to get job growth, well, what is four percent going to buy you? It's it's not going to buy you two hundred thousand jobs a month like like we need to do to get the unemployment rate down. Mm-hmm. Maybe it gets us one hundred and fifty thousand jobs a month. That's a pretty big number. Yet it takes one hundred and twenty five thousand jobs a month just to keep up with birth rate and immigration. I think mm-hmm. we're going to have structurally high unemployment. Well, I, I did a post two years ago for a decade, and when I said it, people thought I was nuts. Here we are; we're still at nine percent. Actually, I think it's way higher than nine percent. It's, it's you know we lost you know uh, 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 two million jobs out of the labor pool is is what it took to get uh, unemployment rate to go down. You know, I mean that's just not a sustainable model either. So you know, all these things are impacting states. Uh, 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 certainly, we've got a new Congress that's that you know wants to cut back federal spending. We've still got these huge, huge you know uh, uh, deficits that the uh, federal government is monetizing. Yet, uh, if and we're, we've taken we've needed all of that to get GDP growing at three percent. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, yeah, tremendous, tre- tremendous stimulus, uh, Mike. And I, w- I would think the likely uh, policy reaction here to the state governments, and uh, you alluded to it, we've already seen some of it, but I believe in some of the remarks that Obama has made recently may be looking to socialize that, the federal government pick up more. The, after all, the Fed can just print more money, right? And then, um, and then perhaps tax large corporations a little bit more. What do you think the impact of that will be on the overall inflation, deflation, growth, uh, contraction picture? Well, a couple of interesting things there. You know, the first off, you know, Bernanke warned uh, about the uh, un- unsustainable nature of the, his exact words were a rapid and painful response to a looming, looming fiscal crisis is coming. You know, that was a warning for the federal government to get its budget act intact. Unfortunately, he doesn't want them to do it now. You know, it's like everyone <laughs> thinks that we can do this thing later. So this yeah. is one of the. This is one of the things. The statements that 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 Bernanke actually made that you know I agree to you know a hundred percent. And here's here's the quote. Bernanke said the federal government must stabilize its budget. The question, he said, is whether these adjustments will take place through a process that weighs priorities and gives people adequate time 
or whether there will be a rapid and painful response to a looming or actual fiscal crisis. It's an exact quote that he said. You know, hmm. yet, you know, so I posted this on my blog, and I said, hmm, this is what Congress ought to do. They ought to take Bernanke at his word, and, uh, you know, they ought to start attacking the budget deficit right now. Now, Bernanke came out uh, uh, in a revised little piece a little bit later where he said, oh, I, you, know, I, you know, I really don't mean that now. He said, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want anyone to play games, you know, you know uh, uh, with the uh, debt ceiling, you know, that we're going to hit the debt ceiling in a, in a couple months, if not sooner. And so, you know, he doesn't want Republicans playing games with that. So, I mean, here's a guy speaking out of, you know, both sides of his mouth at the same time, each saying something different. Yet, you know, that was one statement that he said that, that's, that's true. So, you know, we'll see. And the other thing he said was, which is true, he says, you know what? He says, we couldn't monetize the deficit if there wasn't one. A true statement. So, uh, uh, you know, it's up to Congress to rein, to rein in the deficit. And I think that they're going to, not that they're going to succeed wildly, but I think, you know, that we are going to see a slowing. And I think we're, we're certainly going to see a reluctance for this Congress to bail out states. And, you know, uh, uh, Congress is not going to want to bail out California, Illinois, New York. Those are the states in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And those are the states that, you know, guess what? You know, they, what, what do they have in common? They've all got Democratic governors in common, and um, none of them are right-to-work states. All of them are subject to uh, uh, absurd uh, uh, collective bargaining uh, uh, agreements, all of which uh, are, you know, you know, have created three of the worst um, uh, uh, funded pension plans. Well, the, uh, Illinois is tops by far. Its pension plan is only 29% funded. If you actually read what the state says, the uh, Illinois government says, you know, our pension plan is is 50% funded. Well, it's not. It's only 29% funded. You know, they're using actual, actuarially unsound methods to arrive at that 50%. They're doing various smoothings, and they're, they're counting on these 8% returns going forward that simply aren't going to happen. There's, there's laws pending in uh, 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 Congress right now in the United States that will force actuarially sound methods on these states, and, you know, when that happens then we will see just how badly underfunded uh, these pension plans are. The problem is way, way understated right now because of these unsound methods of evaluating the, the, the pension plans that states are looking at. Mike, what do you think the chances are, and this might be a question for Jeff Deist in the next segment, but what do you think the questions, are the, uh, the possibility of Congress actually doing something about that, though, of, of, of forcing these issues on the pension plans of these various more socialistic states? I think they will do something about these actuarially um, unsound methods. I don't know if they will go beyond that. I mean, certainly some things that I would like to see. I would like to see um, uh, an end to collective bargaining. I would like to see an end to prevailing wages. You, you want to help the states out. Maybe you can get them to you know, uh, uh, pass on this idea of, of what I want to do. I want to see Davis-Bacon scrapped. I'm quite certain that, that, that uh, uh, Ron Paul and 
and Rand Paul would want to do that. Well, let's see that. In, let's see that legislation introduced one more time. You know, uh, uh, states are forced by various you know prevailing wages by by Davis Bacon to go out. They, they want to fix the roads. They have to pay prevailing wages. Well, prevailing wages that's a union wage. So that means you can't even go out and hire a non-union guy who who in theory is going to you know willing to fix this road for cheaper. You have to pay that union rates. You may as well hire a union. These are the kinds of things that that that, that have put states in in a fiscally unsound situation, and these things need to be addressed. I think we need to get rid of collective bargaining, you know, uh, uh, in general. The whole process of collective bargaining, I believe, is fraudulent. You know, it, it, it forces these states, you know, to deal with the union. Imagine if an employer, this is an example that I put on my blog, had employer collective bargainings, and, and the employees had to go along with with the demands of the employer and these people couldn't even leave you know it's it's here you have the exact opposite situation you know, mm-hmm. we would call that slavery right yeah, if, right. If, if a person was was forced to take a wage that the company offered and couldn't even leave yet yet that is the exact situation that um, uh, cities and states are in when they have to deal. They, the collective bargaining says you must deal with this union. And the union says, hmm, you know, okay, I don't agree. So, you know, it goes to arbitration, then it signs with the union, and so they've ratcheted up salaries and pension benefits. You know, the, the, the problem here is collective <coughs> bargaining in general. It's, it's, it's extortion and, and it's fraud. And I want to see a law in Congress that will eliminate collective bargaining for public okay. unions. My, Mike, I, I'd love to hear you go on for a long time on this. I really uh, enjoy what you're saying, but I do want to ask you about the equity markets and, and the topic that you've written. Um, I'm talking about negative annualized returns possible for the next 10 years or longer, and uh, for a number of reasons. First off, you know, people think that earnings growth is going to keep on going to the moon. Well, a lot of that is, is based off of uh, uh, outsourcing, you know, more to China and cutting more employees. I, I think we're, you know, pretty much at the bottom in terms of what companies can do to, um, to get rid of employees. So, you know, that will put upward pressure um, on margins. But but also one has to look at at where in the cycle are we over 17 year periods or 20 year periods markets go from a, a periods of of uh, PE contraction to expansion and back down again. If we've got to take a uh, a break here, uh, I'll cut away and then uh, we can come back with that note. Be right back and don't go away. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. 
Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to Taylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Trading Hard Times and the Good Times. Well, I have to tell you, folks, I have to apologize for the technical uh, difficulties. I think that uh, Skype, S-K-Y-P-E, I guess is how you spell it. Well, it's sort of a swear word to me because we've been using Skype, and every now and then we have these problems, and it's it's not much fun being a host of a show when you can't hear your, uh, what's going on. So we've had this, this difficulty with Skype. When it's working, it's the best thing going uh, but sometimes it doesn't work. My apologies. Anyway, we're back here with Mike. Mike's going to be with us just a couple more minutes to talk about the topic we were talking about when we were interrupted. Mike, get back into this issue of compressing PE multiples in the stock market. You were talking about, the last I heard you say, uh, that people are expecting earnings to continue to grow. Uh, assuming that is the case, I understand you believe that, uh, or it's been demonstrated throughout history, that you can have uh, multiples declining stock prices actually declining as earnings are growing, right? Yes. Uh, first off, you know, it's, it's debatable whether um, or not earnings are even going to keep expanding. The, uh, and I, I list in my blog, and, and people should look for that, do a Google search for MISH, and then um, look for a post uh, called Negative Annualized Stock Market Returns for the Next 10 Years or Longer. The, uh, much of the earnings growth recently is related to the federal stimulus that will end. Much of the earnings in the financial sector are a mirage. Those are based on assets not marked to market and insufficient loan loss uh, uh, provisions. And uh, then we have earnings in both the financial and non-financial sectors have margins outside the historical norms. Those are based on uh, very low headcounts that are uh, unlikely to uh, continue. Now, let's just assume that those are false. I, actually, I think all three of those are valid reasons 
for uh, unsustainable earnings growth. But let's just say that earnings do uh, uh, continue to rise. I've also got a, I've got a chart on on that post that shows PE uh, compression and expansion from 1965 to present. In in 1965, the PE of the S and P 500 was 23 and a half. In 1982, 18 years later, it was 7.3. Then from 1983 to 1999, PEs rose from 9.6 to 42.1. And in uh, uh, in fact, we've had PEs above uh, uh, 23 for like the past 20 years almost. So, you know, people look at that and they say, you know, they think of this as being, you know, the norm. Well, this isn't the norm. Remember, you know, in 1983, P.E. of 7.3, my God, where would the stock market be if it were to go back to that P.E. again? Think of it this way. The the 10-year normalized P.E. right now is 23. Were it even to shrink to 12, and earnings be flat, not just decline, as I suspect, uh, uh, the stock market would be cut more than in half from here. Let's just say earnings rise, then, then it's a question of what multiple do you want to put at it. But the P.E. in 2000 was 41.4. It got as high in mid-year, as high as 44. In 2010, right now, it's, it's, it's 23. So, you know, where is it going to be, you know, 10 years from now? Are we, are we just going to magic go back up there, you know, uh, uh, P.E. expansion to 41, or are we more likely to head back down to something like extreme undervaluation that we saw in 1982 of 7.3? Let's just say we go halfway there and, and, and get back down there to um, uh, 12, 13, 14 percent. You know, that's a huge, you know, 40, 50 uh, uh, 60% decline, you know, in the stock market. And we can see the stock market decline even if earnings go up. You know, it's, it's the uh, um, ex, uh, expansion and compression of these P.E. ratios over long periods of time, 17 to 20 years, that actually determine, you know, w- w- what the stock market performance is actually going to do. So, you know, all of these people that are out there saying, oh, my God, you know, earnings have been rising. Well, we've actually exceeded the earnings in the stock market way, uh, 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 of what they were 10 years ago. You know, is, you know, look at the NASDAQ. It's nowhere close back to, to, to the, the high that it was at then. So yet, yet earnings have, have exceeded the NASDAQ earnings back then. So it's not just about earnings. Okay, well, thank you, Mike. And I, and I would gather, based on our discussions that we had earlier in the show, that you're not all that optimistic about earnings either. That, uh, or, or let's put it this way, you, you expect some major, uh, some major problems in the, uh, in the equity and debt markets uh, before uh, the cleansing process is, uh, is, is completed here, given all of the malinvestment and problems that have been created by the Federal Reserve over over a number of decades, is that right? Exactly. We've not, uh, the, the fundamental issue is, is that we've not addressed any fundamental issues. We've not addressed any of the global imbalances. China and India is, are, are, are overheating with rampant credit expansion. In the United States, we have, we have literally no credit expansion, but we've got massive uh, uh, fiscal stimulus coming out of Congress and uh, massive stimulus from interest rates too low held by Bernanke. All of these things are going to come to a head again, along with the busting of property bubbles in China, Australia, uh, the U.K., 
um, and Australia, if I mentioned, missed that one. So all of these things are going to come to a head. You know, these structural imbalances are going to cure. And one thing we didn't even talk about, so I guess it'll have to be for the next show, but uh, we've got a huge demographic force moving through as, as, as boomers head out of their 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 peak earning years into retirement where they have to start drawing down on their savings where they're not going to be buying toys that, that they've been buying. They're certainly not going to be buying bigger and bigger housing. Housing is going to be in a funk for another 10 years. So, you know, think about that when, when, when people are expecting jobs to come back, yet housing is unlikely to come back, and housing has been the big source of driver for the last 10 years. Okay, Jeff, well, we're going to have to leave it go, uh, Mike, I'm sorry, uh, because we are out of time. Uh, I want to welcome Jeff Dice, who is with us, Ron Paul's chief of staff. Jeff? Jay, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing really well, if it wasn't for something called Skype that left me high and dry here, but honestly, uh, I'm doing really well, and I'm really pleased to have you on the show, Jeff, again. Um, I should uh, let people know that you are, you are a good friend of mine. I've known you for a number of years and uh, that you are Ron Paul's chief of staff. I, I guess I mentioned that. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you today is tomorrow is a big day uh, for Ron Paul and for those uh, people that would like to see some serious questions asked of the Federal Reserve. Uh, your boss uh, is going to be chairing a subcommittee. Uh, and the topic of tomorrow's discussion, anyway, is can monetary policy really create jobs? Talk to us a little bit about what Ron may be planning to do with this subcommittee, if you would. Well, Jay, Congressman Paul has uh, decided to sort of ease into uh, the new hearings and the new subcommittee with a, uh, a hearing on this dual mandate issue. In other words, uh, we're going to discuss the Fed and job creation mm-hmm. and the Fed's role in the current unemployment crisis. So a lot of uh, people now agree that the Fed should not have this dual mandate of, of, one, both fighting inflation, which I'm sure you and I agree was a joke, mm-hmm. and then, two, uh, helping to create jobs, which uh, are certainly... Uh, our witnesses tomorrow will argue is, is a joke as well. So basically, we're going to start off by attacking this this notion that the Fed should be in the business of trying to create jobs. And a couple of the witnesses we have lined up are going to attack it uh, with the very simple proposition that, that far from creating jobs uh, or, or figuring out how to create jobs, the Fed is, is in fact uh, largely, if not wholly, responsible for the bust we've got right now. Um, you know, through the malinvestment and credit expansion we saw during the uh, the uh, Greenspan and early Bernanke era. So, you know, from the Austrian perspective, this is just the inevitable bust that follows the boom. And in any bust, you're going to have a tremendous amount of contraction and liquidation in, in all sectors, including labor markets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to malinvestment, many, many people uh, got into the mortgage banking industry, into the construction industry, into the uh, 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 real estate industry, into the uh, contractor contracting industry, into the home improvement industry, the furniture industries, etc., which was all centered around a phony, artificial Fed-created boom mm-hmm. of, of cheap credit. Mm-hmm. So now that we're experiencing the bust, those industries have contracted so rapidly that there are literally millions of people um, without jobs, like we've seen in the 70s and 80s with the Rust Belt. Um, you know, now the new Rust Belt is places like Las Vegas, yeah. where the industry, the, the uh, boom was, was based on both commercial and residential housing. 
So we're going to we're going to delve into some of these topics tomorrow, and uh, I think Congressman Paul's excited about about getting out there and really uh, bringing this monetary policy subcommittee up to the level where it should have been for years, and that is as a watchdog uh, congressional committee over the Federal Reserve, over the monetary policy generally. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so how will the process work? Uh, you'll, Ron will no doubt be able to make a statement, and then you'll probably have Democrats and Republican members uh, both having their turn to ask questions of the various uh, of the various um, witnesses, the people that are called to testify? Absolutely. We're going to have about one hearing a month. Um, there are, I believe, 14 members on the committee, so it's a relatively small subcommittee, eight Republicans, I believe, and six Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the congressman intends to uh, bring in leading Austrian scholars, uh, uh, economists, uh, you know, people also with real-world experience, you know, hedge funds managers, uh, people on Wall Street, etc. Um, we're also going to bring in people from the Fed to question them. Um, and uh, obviously the Democrats will be free, and, and we will encourage them to bring in uh, witnesses who present the, the opposing viewpoint, sure. i.e. the Keynesian view that the, the, the Fed can stimulate the economy, it should stimulate the economy, um, and, and that, you know, it, that the Fed's response to the, uh, the, the crisis of 08 was either needed or should have been more. Um, so I think you you will find that Congressman Paul runs his, his subcommittee in a much more academic and open way mm-hmm. um, than than most of these very boring congressional committees, you know, which if you happen to flip through C-SPAN, um, you probably flip right past because they're so boring. And, and I think we're going to do something different here. I think the, the Congressman really intends to, uh, to bring this issue of monetary policy and the Fed to the forefront of it. You know, Americans have finally gotten interested in this, Jay, and, and that's because... You know their house is not magically going up ten percent every year. No, exactly. And their, uh, you know, the, uh, the loaf of bread that was two seventy five is all of a sudden four dollars. Yeah. Um, and you know these are real world things, and they're in front of people. And unfortunately, it's taken a crisis uh, to to sort of get Congress and, and and the media to wake up and and to to really start to take a look at this at this monopolistic entity we we call the Fed. And, and more importantly, bring transparency. That's really Congressman Paul's ultimate goal, is to say, look, there is no uh, basis in, in, in law, in history, in tradition whatsoever for this vaunted idea of Fed independence. Mm-hmm. Central bankers around the world want to tell you, we have to be independent. We can't have political pressures. Yeah. Well, you know what? Congress created the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve spends more money than Congress. It has a bigger budget, in effect. Its, its, its actions probably affect the average American more than the economic or fiscal laws mm-hmm. passed by Congress, or your, your regulatory laws, tax laws, etc. Um, and, and this idea that it should just operate without oversight or without transparency. I mean, we, we have to beg and plead to get them to tell us what they're doing, and, and they only tell us in part, you know, mm-hmm. months after the fact, i.e., mm-hmm. This, this uh, document dump of a couple months back, as an right. example, when we found out about some of the banks and companies who had received federal money. So, so uh, you know, from our perspective, this is outrageous, and it's high time that, uh, that we had a, a, a better information on what the Fed is doing. Well, Jeff, you mentioned crisis. Uh, it took a crisis to get people. We've had the Tea Party movement, which I think is a response to the, to the economic crises. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I'm living in New York City here. We're doing pretty well. We hear there's there's big problems with the New York City budget, but never mind. Uh, we're going to socialize that. We'll print some more money. We'll bail out New York. We'll bail out California. We'll bail out anybody that has problems. Uh, uh, will will uh, will the subcommittee get into some of those issues as well somewhere down the road? Absolutely, we're going to. I think Congressman Paul intends to look very closely at at what happened with some of the TARP money, what uh, some of the you know QE two money, um, uh, you know how 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 it, it went where it went and and why. Um, you know, in New York City, you may the financial markets may enjoy some of that uh, TARP or, or stimulus money sloshing around. But that doesn't mean it's uh, helping people in, in in other parts of the country, and uh, you, you know we we my, Congressman Paul really seeks to de- demystify this process and show people um, you know how, how how the Fed monetizes debt and how the Fed bails people out and and who gets bailed out. Yeah, Jeff, you mentioned uh, there's eight Republicans, six Democrats. Uh, I'm wondering if there are any other members in that among those other 13 that are sort of understanding Austrian economics, or is Ron Paul still the lone ranger when it comes to Austrian economics on Capitol Hill? Well, it remains to be seen. We've got a a fair amount of freshman members on the Financial Services Committee, and, uh, you know, uh, Congressman Paul certainly does a lot of outreach and tries to get, especially the younger, newer members, interested in these topics uh, by inviting, inviting them to his office and introducing them to to some of the people uh, in the financial world that we consider um, credible. Uh, so it, it remains to be seen. But no, uh, I can't identify any real strong Austrians in Congress apart from, from Dr. Paul, to be frank with you. It's an educational process for sure, Jeff, and, and you can't blame the members of Congress, I think, so much uh, because, frankly, we've all been... Uh, we've all been indoctrinated with change in economics from Economics 101 on up. Um, it's almost as if, um, I like to say in some ways, that if you have a Ph.D. in, in, in uh, Keynesian economics, you're at a disadvantage to understand how the world really works. Certainly, we look at some of the people in, in um, the stock pickers that I have on this show have all been, have been successful, have been Austrian economic thinkers because they could see problems coming down the, down the pike as a result of Austrian, uh, uh, as a result of Keynesian economics, as a result of the malinvestment that is created through, uh, through uh, you know, printing press money and all of that. Um, what, what are some of the other things we might look forward to, Ron, addressing uh, the, the subcommittee addressing? Uh, you mentioned you mentioned one other one, um, but what are some of the other things he might be looking at? Well, I'm sure that we will have a subcommittee markup of the congressman's audit the Fed bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we would like to see the Fed audited very thoroughly in the manner of a of a of a you know a professional third party audit, and and what we mean by that is not simply perhaps what they've done with some of the bailout funds, but a, a true audit of their activities, including their rate setting function. Mm-hmm. Um, we we'd like to see information provided as to how they magically uh, figure out what interest rates should be, because I think that would be illuminating for the American people to, to witness this, uh, this process that's something almost out of, the, uh, out of a, uh, uh, you know, an Ayn Rand uh, novel, mm-hmm. you know, this mysterious uh, uh, group of people making these decisions for us. I wonder, Jay, how the American people would feel if there was a, a small group of people who decided what wheat pre- prices would be this year or decided what the pay for 
uh, in automobile factory workers would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of us would see that as as uh, fairly Soviet and dangerous. But um, you know, so certainly we're going to look into to a real audit of the Fed. Uh, certainly we're going to look into how or if uh, U.S. taxpayer funds, uh, in in a roundabout way through the European Central Bank, went to assist in the bailouts that have been going on in Europe, mm-hmm. um, because we think taxpayers would be very interested to know if it, to to what extent. Uh, uh, the Fed is using its uh, basically using uh, taxpayer back, U.S. taxpayer backed money and promises to uh, to prop up uh, um, welfare states overseas as well as our own. Absolutely, absolutely. I, th- I think we will um, we'll want to look more into the the real root of the housing collapse. There's still millions of Americans mired in uh, foreclosure, upside down on their mortgages, whatever it might be, and they're wondering why they paid so much for their houses. Well, we're going to, I think we're definitely going to look into that because from my boss's perspective, um, the housing crisis can be laid squarely at the feet of the Fed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, let me put it this way, Jay, we don't lack for topics uh, <laughs> when it comes to future hearings, but I would, I would venture that to uh, you could look for a hearing uh, at least once a month, and, and uh, C-SPAN will be covering those hearings. Hopefully the Bloombergs and CNBCs of the world will televise them as well. But, uh, uh, you know, for, for anybody who's interested uh, and at work this week, they can uh, uh, always go to the House Financial Services uh, Committee website, which is, you can find easily through Google. And uh, it'll, it'll stream live there tomorrow morning, Wednesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Well, let's hope the uh, when we talk about hearings that they are heard by a lot of people. Uh, the mainstream, I, I'm a bit suspicious. I, I sort of think that you know a lot of these topics uh, that you're looking to talk about are not topics that are popular. We haven't heard the Austrian perspective for a reason, Jeff. In my view, the reason we haven't heard it is because the Keynesian system benefits the um, uh, the ruling elite. It benefits the people. Uh, the status quo, let's put it that way. It benefits the people that can create money out of nothing. I like to say that it's the biggest racket going. Uh, if you can create your inventory with some keystrokes of a computer, uh, and that's really what the monopolistic Federal Reserve does, of course, it, 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 and the banking system is able to create uh, inventory and then control the process of credit. Clearly, I see it in my industry where I work, uh, in the mining industry, uh, the people that are really making the money are not the people that go and find the gold or the copper, the zinc, or the lead, or the energy, the oil, or whatever. Uh, it's not the geologists, the scientists, the people that, that actually do the work to create wealth. It's the people that control the credit and the equity, uh, the funding for those companies that really are in the catbird seat. They're the ones that are uh, that have the yachts and the fancy apartments in Vancouver and New York and else, elsewhere. So there is something very, very perverse and wrong about the current system. I really uh, wish that uh, wish Ron, Paul, and and others well in trying to really uh, provide the transparency to the American people, which I think the American people really want. And I, I think that maybe if they can stop watching Desperate Housewives and the Super Bowl long enough to think about what is really important in their lives, and, and I guess it takes a... It takes some difficulties. Ms. Shedlack was saying earlier in this show he believes we've got more tough days ahead. I would imagine you're thinking the same thing, Jeff? Sure. I mean, there's no easy way to get out of our dollar crisis on the horizon. Oh. But uh, the, the most sensible course of action would seem to be, uh, at least in the short
short run to stop doing what we've been doing. Um, you know, that's that's the starting point for any crisis is to stop the conduct that's that's exacerbating the crisis. And I think as your as your previous guest alluded to, you know, uh, we've we've basically just take you know we we failed to to uh, to get, liquidate all the bad debt. I mean, we took. We took a situation in the early 2000s where we could have had a couple years of, of recessionary pain, and instead, Greenspan wanted to inflate inflate us out of the tech bust. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, you know, it's it's uh, 10 years later, and we've kicked the can down the road, and we've got a much bigger bubble as a result. Well, it seems to be the bubble to cure bu- to, to cure the past bubble. And uh, you know, is it a debt bubble? Is it a dollar bubble? What kind of a bubble is it? I guess we're about to find out. But really, what's important is for American people to become educated, understand uh, the premise that this show is based upon is understanding the cause of the problem, so you can do something about it, both personally for your own personal financial and your family situation, as well as hoping to to address these bigger issues, helping to educate people. And I'm re- really thankful, Jeff, that you could come on today to talk to us. I'm thankful that you've had your boss come on our show. He's a He's, of course, welcome anytime. Love to have him on, and maybe after, uh, after these hearings we can have your, uh, your boss, Ron Paul, come on again. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us. I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Okay, great. Thanks, Jay. All the best. Folks, we got, I think, a minute or two left here. I just want to – I have Roger Wiegand on, me, on w- the show here with me. Roger, are you there? Roger's here. <clears throat> okay, we got two minutes to close. You put out um, – uh, you put out a missive today to your readers. Could you just tell our listeners what that was about? Well, I didn't send an alert, but <clears throat> I was talking on it with uh, a Coral and Economics report about some other different things, and, and what we discussed today was the uh, silver has gone into a breakaway because it's, uh, it's backward uh, on the futures. What that means is uh, the far-out price is less than it is today, so the pressure's on. There could be a short squeeze coming in silver. Uh, gold today went up uh, $16.30. Silver went up almost a dollar, 95 and a half cents. Silver now is near the peak of where it was before. The price jump today is a long bar closing on a top, which looks very strong. I expect more buying tomorrow. So silver and gold are, are very strong again in new rallies. And silver is probably two or three times as strong as gold. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting, Roger. I think we're, we're looking at the bull market of a lifetime, I like to say, for gold mining shares. Uh, silver, uh, you know, we've had people like Eric Sprott on this show. Even Ian Gordon has turned into be a silver bull, calls it uh, poor man's gold. And, and when you think about it, if people really feel the need to have you know, some monetary metals around as a barter instrument in case things really turn ugly. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense to have some silver coins around to buy a loaf of bread or whatever. You're not going to go down to the grocery store with a Krugerrand, a one-ounce Krugerrand, and, and look for any kind of reasonable change, I suppose. So we uh, we certainly are in a bull market uh, for stocks, for gold mining stocks, silver mining stocks. I think uranium is looking very good, too. Uh, and, and just maybe I'll ask you, I think we've got a minute left. Roger, how does, how does the oil market look to you? Are you... you I'm well, sure you're it's tracking right it. now. It was at 92.50 resistance, came back to 87.5. But I think that oil is going to tread water where it is for now. It went off a little bit high on the Mideast problems, which have settled down somewhat. And I think what you'll see next is it'll go sideways, turn around, and go back up again. Uh, we see a lot of inflation coming. We see it in food and energy right now. I saw an email uh, this week that said that. 
some of the smaller grocery stores are going to have to close simply because of inflation. They're not going to be able to compete with the big stores. Yeah. Well, that's, inflation that's... is there for energy and for uh, food products. Well, that's that's certainly the way uh, the way things are going. It, it, you have to be bigger and more efficient to survive, which isn't all bad. I guess that's part of what the economy uh, requires. And, and and to the extent that it's a free market, it's it's a healthy process. Well, thank you, Roger. Uh, that's about all the time we have today. Just want to tell everybody that uh, next week we're going to have David Morgan with us. David Morgan uh, talking about silver. David Morgan, in my view, is one of the most knowledgeable silver analysts out there. So you're not going to want to miss. David Morgan uh, next week. I uh, also want to just remind you that we do have uh, these promotions for Chen's newsletter, Roger's newsletter, and mine. You can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to our website, miningstocks.com. Uh, I want to thank um, those that make this show logistically possible, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman. Uh, my engineer, uh, for making, again, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to this show and making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing about time is the time isn't really real it's just your point of view Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.